with her. There we are, look at that. Thank you, Mike. So you've had a little leg rest. Uh, <laughs> let's all stand again. <laughs> let's read together. Praise the Lord. Praise, praise the, the Lord, Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Oh, okay. No. Please, uh, I'll keep reading. Uh, do take a seat. Sorry, it's a bit up and down now. I apologize. So I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirits depart, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. And also into the Old Testament prophet Amos, some verses from chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake when Isaiah was king of Judah and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. He said, the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up and the top of Carmel withers. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent, because she threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. I will send fire on the house of Hazael that, they, that will consume the fortresses of Ben-Hadad. I will break down the gate of Damascus. I will destroy the king who is in the valley of Aven and the one who holds the scepter in Beth-Eden. The people of Aram will go into exile to Kir, says the Lord. Picking up at verse 13. This is what the Lord says. For three sons of Ammon, even for four, I will not relent, because he ripped open the pregnant woman of Gilead in order to extend his borders. I will set fire to the walls of Rabbah that will consume her fortresses amid war cries on the day of battle, amid violent winds on a stormy day. Her king will go into exile, he and his officials together, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says, for three sins of Moab, even for four I will not relent, because he burned to ashes the bones of Edom's king. I will send fire on Moab that will consume the fortresses of Kerioth. Moab will go down in great tumult amid war cries and the blast of the trumpet. I will destroy her ruler and kill all of the, her officials with him, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not relent, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have kept, not kept his decrees. 
because they have led astray, been led astray by false gods, the gods their ancestors followed. I will send fire on Judah that will consume the fortresses of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God they drink wine taken as fines. Yet I destroyed the Amorites before them. We'll finish there. Jesus, your scriptures have, have been an inspiration and a challenge because they speak of you and your heart. They speak of our history. They speak about true things. And I pray in our moments together, lead us afresh to Jesus. Inspire us in this Advent. Holy Spirit, enable us to have read these words here and receive them and hearts that would respond in kingdom ways. Decisions and will that would match up to all the plans and purposes you have for each one of us, for this fellowship, for this nation. Amen. Amen. There are lots of things to uh, get excited about this month. I don't know what would be on your list of top three, but I know some people who are very excited because there is a cinematic event happening again this month. Do you know what that is? Paddington, not Paddington. There, what was that, Pete? Star Wars. There's one of us there, Pete. Uh, Star Wars Episode Eight is being released. Uh, it is confusing that they started with four. And went to six, and then one to three, and now seven and eight is being released. Now, why do I tell you that? Uh, the, the first Star Wars film released in 1977. I do remember it, just. Does anyone remember what it was called? The real, the new hope, look at this. Pete, top of the class of the Star Wars fan treks. Here we are, so uh, fansters. Uh, it was called A New Hope. And uh, I was remembering that. If you don't know the story of, of Star Wars, just to fill you in so you don't kind of switch off and think, uh, this is beyond me and there's no relevance to me at all. Star Wars is, uh, is about Darth Vader. You've probably heard of him. Han Solo, Luke Skywalker. Yeah, is it all coming? Chewbacca, that big furry rug, walking rug, Princess Leia. Are you with me? Mostly. The reason I wanted to kind of start with the Star Wars theme is that, like so many stories, they actually point to a greater story. 
that in, uh, in Star Wars Episode 4, the first one that was released, A New Hope, the Imperial forces under the cruel kind of leadership of Darth Vader had captured the Princess Leia and she was held hostage. And they were dead set on quelling the rebellion, those uh, places, those little outposts amongst all uh, of the galaxy that would hold to the ideals of freedom and truth and goodness. And Darth Vader, the dark one, working from the dark side. And it seemed like there was little hope. The power and the authority and the control and the dominion that the emperor and Darth Vader exercised was scary. But the title of the film, A New Hope, demonstrated, signified that even in the midst of what appeared to be a crushing onslaught of darkness against any possibility of good, wasn't the end of the story. And decades later, we've not finished the Star Wars episode. I'm not on commission, by the way. So fans of, of Star Wars are waiting with expectation for part eight, this very month. Uh, and we've begun Advent. You may be thinking this is a tenuous link. It isn't. We have begun Advent. I had a conversation last night uh, as uh, celebrating Lani's 40th. And um, I was talking to one of the younger people and, uh, and uh, they were sort of saying, well, when does Advent start? Someone said it starts today. And uh, they were saying, no, it didn't. It started on Friday when we opened the little door and we got out the little chocolate and we ate it. When does it start? Should it have been today or Friday when the candle is lit? Advent begins, if we capture it, if we kind of grasp and see what it's about, it enables us to actually begin to have this new hope. And it's not about Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, but something far greater, a far better story. You see, Advent reminds us, uh, as, uh, as I asked my goddaughter what she would like for Christmas, there was that, that kind of hope in her answer, looking forward to the 25th of December, thinking what is on her list you know, when you were perhaps a child, I remember uh, children, maybe they send emails to the North Pole now, I don't know quite what happens, but do you remember the time when you, you would write a letter uh, addressed to Father Christmas and uh, we had to put it in an envelope on the windowsill with a stone on it to stop it blowing away and my mum and dad said a robin would come in the middle of the night and fly it off. Was it robins in your... You, I mean, parents are great, aren't they? And lo and behold, in the morning, the letter had gone. And that hope of, my goodness, the letter has gone to the North Pole. Awaiting with hope, with expectation. That's part of what Advent is about. About waiting with a growing anticipation of something to come. Advent reminds us that December isn't just the time that we root out those boxes that have been put away in the loft to get out those decorations and redress the tree. Advent is not just simply enduring a really busy month of diary conflicts. 
Advent is actually the breaking in into normal time. For those of those of us who've kind of been part of, of different church traditions and they'll understand what normal time and special time is about. But in the lection readings, Advent starts and marks the beginning. New beginnings. Hope. Everything begins again. God in the world. It's a time, rightly, that we begin to be reminded afresh of that excitement and new hope. As someone's photo on a Twitter feed said, this two-year-old little boy, uh, firstly kind of recognizing that it's about to be Christmas, and they've gone to buy the Christmas tree, and the tagline on the Twitter photograph is, says, can we buy all of them? Because he'd begun to realize the excitement the excitement of a child leaning forward each day. Is it Christmas yet? Advent invites us to awaken from numbed endurance and our small domesticated expectations of getting through just today, just this week, to consider again our life afresh in the light of the most dramatic intervention of God. The context of Advent is a new hope. Star Wars captures it rightly, as does Amos, as does the psalmist. In order to capture something of the, the vitality of a new hope, you also need to know the context in which hope comes. Despair. That without, with just focusing on hope and the, uh, and the expectation of, of all that we are, are speaking of in the Christmas season and of the coming again of the Lord, hope finds its context in despair, in the brutal reality, in the desperation, in the awfulness that is around us. Not very Christmassy, I know, but yes, it is. That we remember God in hope enters into the worst of situations. Into the reign and rule of an empire. A controlling force. Of sending ordinary people scattering to their home places to be taxed more under census. And we will read and hear afresh of dear Mary and Joseph gathering in a place because everywhere else was full and they were at the bottom of society and not able to afford good accommodations. Of the light of the world, the word of God being born into the lowest of circumstances. In an era when the political pressures were high and we'll hear perhaps, because we often lead out the more despairing parts of the story, where Herod will come and seek to exercise murder. Hundreds of boys will be killed. I don't know if you saw the news this week of, of the war crimes caught in The Hague. And the stories of why people were on trial for killing and genocide and murder. We need to understand the wonder of hope in the context of the reality of life. Brokenness, 
despair, of hopelessness. Without understanding the position we find ourselves without God of darkness, we don't understand the glad tidings of great joy to say hope has arrived. The table that we'll be about to eat from and participate in, invited by God himself to say there's new start, fresh beginning, life here for all who would come. Someone wrote a poem and said it like this, Lee, we live in a broken world. The contemporary Jewish prophet, Robert Zimmerman, in, in fact, uh, detailed a list of things that were broken. He said this, everything is broken. Broken bottles, broken plates, broken switches, broken gates, broken dishes, broken parts. Streets are filled with broken hearts. Broken words never meant to be spoken. Everything is broken. Broken bodies, broken bones, broken voices on broken phones. Take a deep breath. Feel like you're choking. Everything is broken. Broken treaties, broken vows, broken hands on broken plows, broken pipes, broken tools, people bending broken rules. Everything is broken. The singer-songwriter, contemporary prophet, Bob Dylan, entitled an album entitled, Oh Mercy. We live in a broken society which exists in a broken world which is part of a broken human condition. And the bad news is that everything is broken. Lord, have mercy. It's all right. It happens to us all. Uh, at this point, if anyone is hasn't seen or knows the plot line of Murder on the Orient Express, and it's on your Christmas list of things to do this month, put your fingers in your ears right now. Two, three. This is where I'm like I'm walking on tonight. In the new in the film of. Um, New film, Kenneth Branagh, Murder on the Orient Express. If you've read the book or you've, you may have seen the old version, you know what happens. Hercule Poirot is on the train heading back to Europe from, uh, from, the, from the east. And on it are assembled some great and some good. And in a classic Agatha Christie sense, someone dies. And uh, the plot is about this amazing kind of uh, criminal investigator who can see patterns and spot and discern and work stuff out. Hercule Prior is set quite a challenge because amongst the, the, all those passengers in the death are finding out who killed uh, the passenger on the train. He has to work out who done it. And it's a, quite a perplexing story because as he looks at each person, each uh, uh, character, there's something he discerns about, well, perhaps this one, and perhaps this one, and perhaps this one, but who is it who has done it? Who has caused this dastardly crime? Who is the one who is to blame? Remarkably, in Murder on the Oaks Express, there's a kind of unexpected ending, a narrative twist. Put your fingers strongly in your ears at this point. Hercule Poirot reveals that all of them 
are responsible. It's not just one, it's them all. They all have motive and opportunity and have conspired for the crime. Fingers out. One of the things the psalmist and Amos reiterate is like that ending of that mystery. None of us are off the hook. That in our Christmas story, as we, as we gather and we put up the decorations, it's right because the story talks about baby Jesus and the pastoral scenes and the manger and the stable or cave and peace and goodwill and how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given comes in the context of the reality of life. Despair. But Amos wonderfully helps a corrective. Did you hear it as we read it in verse 2 of chapter 1? The Lord roars from Zion. Roaring, the lion, a roaring truthfulness that disrupts every illusion. The Lord roars from Jerusalem, Zion, a roar that says the status quo will not remain. Goes on in his, his prophetic oracles to speak about the broken and the abandoned and the decay and the injustice. The lion roars, God. Declares. The lion roars. I don't know if you've ever heard a lion roar properly. David Attenborough has them from time to time on his wonderful documentaries. But the lion roars. I was uh, once uh, quite a lot younger. Uh, we went to, had the privilege of being on, a, on one of these um, uh, safaris in, in the Masai Mara, and we were camping in these tents. It was a really cheap one. They were really rubbish tents. Uh, and we, there was a bunch of us, and I was 20, uh, 20 and we were lying there in, in, the, in the, uh, the, the African savannah, and it was night, and the stars were out, and then the roar. My goodness, it gets your attention. What? <laughs> Where's this lion? They're amazing creatures. This isn't just about a travelogue, but a few years ago, again, my friends were working out in Uganda, and we went to visit, and we went up to Queen Elizabeth National Park, and we were in their vehicle, we were driving uh, up to uh, one of the campsites, creatively called Campsite Number Two, because there was a campsite number one, but this was number two, and number three wasn't very nice. So we, we thought we would check out campsite number two. And all around on the park entrance and in the little handbook about the map, it says, do not get out of your vehicle. Because we know what happens when you go to a safari park in this country. You, you know, wild animals, human beings, not a great mix. I mean, behind bars and all that in zoos, we can get quite close. But in their place, you know, that's their place. Our place is in the car behind the glass, and they can look in. Anyway, so we were following all the instructions, not getting out. And you know, you take the photographs of hippos and, and zebra and all those nice creatures. And we hadn't seen any of the, the more scary creatures. And we were having to stay the night uh, in, in this park in Queen Elizabeth, and it was wonderful. So we drove up, the three of us in, the, in their car, to campsite number two. It 
had this nice little sign. So we drove in, and though it was a, not a great time of year, so we drove in, and uh, as we were driving into the campsite, no one was there. It was just us. We pulled up under this nice kind of big tree with some leaves overhanging, and it looked like it would sh shade the vehicle. It would be great. So we thought, ah, now this looks a beautiful place, not far to the river. We could take our pick of pictures. And uh, we got out of the vehicle, stretched our legs. We were just wandering around to find the ideal place. And suddenly, something caught our eye, a flash of yellowy-brown gold. And out of the tree that we had parked under, jumped out a lion. We were about four meters from the, uh, the car by this point. Because we had assumed that lions can read that in campsite number two, this is where humans are. But they hadn't quite worked out the instructions, and they just thought, this is a nice tree to hang out in. Hussein Bolt was slower than me <laughs> in my dash back to the car. The lion is a formidable creature. And the lion roars. And the prophet declares the roar of God and we need to hear it. You see, maybe it was slightly uncomfortable in Amos' expose of the failures and the brokenness of the system. He focuses on Syria in Damascus, of Moab and Ammon of Jordan, and looks to them and says, your offenses of violation of human rights and of savage military assault have not gone unnoticed. This brokenness, these social political failures, I will judge. The lion roars, but his gaze shifts and says, even you, Judah, even you, Israel, I need to roar against. And one uh, kind of most profoundly, when he focuses most closely at home on the God's own people, what's, what, is, what is he saying? What is his judgment? Why does he need to utter to them? He says, because you have trampled on the head of the poor. You have failed to give love and kindness and compassion and justice to the orphan and the widow. You have trampled on their head and it is an affront to the king and his kingdom. Advent helps us see both things. The despair and the brokenness and the failure and the hopelessness of doing it on our own, we're all complicit. Humankind has reached the end of its rope. All of our schemes for self-improvement, for clever thinking, everything that we could think, if we just do this, it will be enough. It comes to nothing. Two weeks ago, the euphoria on the streets of Harare and the, and the byways and highways of Zimbabwe of the dictator has gone to be replaced. That hope and that expectation, that desire, yes, 
to the new president appointing military figures to the cabinet, and it seems to be more of the same. Hope dashed. Do you remember the euphoria of the 1997 general election? New Labour, out with the old, in with the new, new century, new millennium. Things can only get better, new beginnings. Doesn't seem such a sweet dream anymore. We can chart back decade by century by millennia and look at the pattern. Hope put into human progress, and I'm not saying we can't achieve good things, but hope in uh, the progress of humanity, whether that's scientific or medical or educational or public health, or all good things, but if that is the focus and the goal, we will be so disillusioned. The modern agenda from the Enlightenment led to the despair of the 20th century in two world wars of genocide, deep racism, of mass casualties of war, of atheistic regimes and social injustice, the like of which never has been seen. A lighting of a candle in the darkness recognizes the darkness and says it's messed up and dreadful. But hope burns brightly in the most darkest time. You see, preparation in Advent and looking forward to Christmas, as Amos and Psalm 146 remind us, Advent and Christmas is not just about safe or the private or even just celebrating with family and friends. But the reminder in Advent and the coming of a Savior that God is preoccupied too with the great public issues of war and peace and economic justice and our world. He cares about this world that he has made. He cares about humanity, the least, the last, and the lost. And the new hope that is coming and that is coming again. Jesus said, every time you eat this cup, uh, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. To say we live with Good Friday faith, sorry, we live with Easter Sunday faith in a Good Friday world. But hope is lit, even in the most dark times. That in Advent, Jesus is our hope and our renewed expectation and also in his coming again. Just last week, we remembered he's not abandoned us. We concluded Mark's gospel. And it was such a poignant Sunday, not because we'd finished Mark's gospel, but because of our friends Miranda and Roy, who are sitting just over there in the loss of their son, Joe. And they were so encouraged in the darkness and despair of their present tense, to know resurrection hope. You see, this is what hope does. It kindles and bursts into life and light in the midst of despair and where we could just look at the news and think, oh my goodness, North Korea, oh my goodness, the president of America, oh my goodness, the rise of fundamentalism. 
or open the post or visit the GP or uncertain for whatever reason of the coming days. We consider him afresh here at the table. And remember that fear imprisons, faith liberates. Fear paralyzes, but faith empowers. Fear disheartens, but faith encourages. Fear sickens, but faith heals. Faith and hope and love. Fear puts hopelessness at the heart of life while faith rejoices in God. Advent is a season of reality. It's a season where we take stock of who we are and recognize we need the Savior. Thank the Lord that he has come. Advent isn't, and Christmas isn't just about glossing it and wrapping it and pretending. But oh so, oh so real that into the darkness the light comes. Into the very historical story of Palestine in eons and eons of awaited expectation of Lord, have mercy. Lord, may this not repeat and repeat and repeat. God's promises through the prophets, I will send a Savior. I will send the Messiah. Behold, hang on. And he came. Hope is renewed. The Savior of the world. And in this interval to his return, we continue in that reassured confidence, that energized activism to say, as we pray, as we live, as we serve, we engage in the purposes of the king in bringing his kingdom. It's not in vain. It's not that we shut up the shutters and raise the drawbridge and stand back and let the world go to pot. But just like he comes and entered in, we do too. We pray, we contend, we serve, we love, we hope. May your hope be renewed. For he has not abandoned us. He has not forsaken us. He is here. He has come and is coming. Let's pray.